Butler now ten and two in your last uh, twelve games. What what do you attribute the ascent of this program to? Yeah, I did not know that stat. That sounds good though. Ten and two. That's my agent over there. You can take over for him. Uh, as frustrating as today was, does it at all make you question the decision to coach out the rest of the season? Never. Never. Not even a fault. Trying to get players to do the right thing, and we use uh, playing time and opportunities in football to try to get them to do the right thing personally and academically. So um, that's basically all I got to say about that. Coach, that's all. But we got. you guys are really good about taking role. I, I will say that. I mean, um, our team fighting plays the way they do because they believe in, in uh, what we're doing and who we are. Um, they believe that you know we had an opportunity to come here and, and win a football game. Uh, that's the way that they played for for three quarters. Didn't have enough in the fourth quarter to to go get it done. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter, and I'm joined as always by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey, buddy, what's going on? Oh, man, I got to be honest with you, Shane. Almost had an emergency podcast last night. <laughs> Around midnight central time. I know you were way in bed. Otherwise, if you were awake, Shane, <laughs> we would have had it, us, an emergency podcast. And it doesn't even relate to the SEC. And that is, of course, because of the pole assassin. <laughs> Golly. Mike, man, I, I when I got on the next morning, I don't know what I walked into. You ever you ever seen a, a like a yellow jacket's nest? Mm-hmm. You you typically don't until you're all up in it. And I'm telling you, I, I got in and I was like, what the hell is going on this morning? I just, I you're going to have to let me know, Mike. What was that all about? All right. I'm going to break. This is a complex story, Shane, and it only lasted about an hour. And then it was it was over and done with. And But uh, for that hour, in the middle, it was late in Monday Night Football, there was a report that Texas special teams coordinator Jeff Banks you know, he came from Alabama. He's worked under Nick Saban. He was uh -huh. at Texas A&M, worked for Kevin Sullivan. This is a well-regarded assistant coach here all across college football. And there was a report that said he's got some kind of monkey that mauled a child at Halloween. <laughs> oh, no. And at first you think, well, this is a little fishy. Can this really be real? And then all of a sudden it turns out, it wasn't his monkey, Shane. It was <laughs> so this guy has left his wife with and four children for a stripper. Oh no! Named Pole Assassin, and it's her. It's her monkey. This is all verified. This is, I'm not making up any of this. Pole Assassin is her, her stage name. She does the stripping with the monkey, and she's oh, been. God. And I verified all this information. She's been on Jerry Springer showing off her talents. I've tweeted all that out. So you can go out and find all that, but it was hilarious because she denied all this mauling the, anything that the monkey did. And you think, okay, yeah, so nothing happened. And then she's comes to, she keeps, re, she keep 
retweeting all night. She, she did like 20 retweets here, including a video of her backyard and how the kids shouldn't be there. And he was told not to get next to the mon monkey cage and how a doctor had to treat the child child. So she went from this did not happen at all to, all right, it happened, but it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> and next thing you know, she deleted her entire Twitter. Of course, everybody, you know, copies the videos and copies the tweets. So oh, yeah. it's all out there. But that's basically summed up the saga of Pole Assassin, which lasted all oh, about an God. hour. But there was about 100,000 tweets about it. Golly, you know, Steve's starting to drink again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God, the pole assassin. I <laughs> See, I woke up to the video mm -hmm. of of her. I, this is what I caught. So I wake up, and she's like, and this is where the gate's at. And she's walking with the camera, and then she walks around by the pool, and then there's another gate, and then mm -hmm. the monkey, and you can't stick your hand in the cage, or this is what happened. So I'm like, in the mix of all this, I'm seeing like a million memes and all this stuff, and I'm like, golly, it's like, it's like I just, you know, it's like the Tiger King, you know. It's just I, like I missed the whole Netflix thing, and everybody watched it but me, you know. It's just like that's what it felt like, Mike. So, uh, damn, yeah. I, special team coaches are always the craziest, aren't they? Yeah, without a I mean, doubt. They just you, you, you think of some of the, some of the, some of the greatest special teams coaches, and they, there's a nut loose, man. And you got to when you're running down there and you're hitting at 100 miles an hour. I guess you need some crazies out there and. Uh, this is par for the course, so I guess Texas took the lead. Welcome to the SEC, guys. <laughs> yeah, if nothing else, that was kind of the uh, the thought after all this. Texas really is ready for life in the SEC <laughs> after the yeah, uh, yeah. the pole assassin and the monkey. The monkey's name's Gia. I've come to find that out as well. So th that's all the information I got on the pole assassin. I had to had to start the show uh, with that one. You know what? Oh my gosh. Well, I'm sure there's a few people are seeing these monkeys running around and you're just like, what the hell is that? Cause that was me. I woke up and I'm like, what did I miss? You know, did this thing run on the field or, you know, I didn't know. Was it, I thought it was maybe like a Peyton Eli thing there for a second. And then, Oh golly. So the strippers up all night tweeting. So now mm -hmm. she's deleted her uh, account. And has there been any statements? Just curious. Uh, we don't have to talk about it much more, but has there been any statements come out of Texas or, that's all the monkey business uh, that, uh, that I'm aware of there, Shane. Oh, God. Oh, pun intended. All right. <laughs> well, hey, speaking of the show, Shane, I mean, I know we had to start with that, but we've got a loaded show here. We've got a couple games to break down, and we got mm -hmm. Thomas Goldcamp of 247 Sports, Swamp 24-7 down there. Uh, he was very gracious with his time to give us some insight what's going on down there in Gainesville and Dan Mullen and all this. So mm -hmm. loaded, loaded show, brother. You ready to go around the league? Let's do it. Now let's go around the league. You know, this is not a democracy. Everybody doesn't get what to do what they want to do. Everybody don't get to do what they feel like doing. Um, you got to buy in and do what you're supposed to do to, um, you know, be a part of the team and do the things you need to do in practice every day. Uh, sense of urgency, play fast, execute, do your job. You know, guys on the sidelines sitting there pouting. Um, you know, I, I can't stand that either. You know, sit there and pout on a sideline. Um, I, you know, because that's the ultimate and selfish. You know, well, the last play didn't go my way, so I feel so bad. Well, yeah, I mean, nobody thinks, well, you're a tough person when you do that. Nobody thinks that. What they do is they point at you and laugh, and then they nudge their buddy and, hey, you see that guy for this team over there on the sideline? 
and 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 they, they you know they'll use words like wimp although they'll use other ones too that I think are even better words with regard to uh, describing what I'm witnessing at times we see you as a tough, hard-nosed, boring football coach. Oh, thanks a lot. Who says that? I think Arkansas was an underdog in every game last year, and I know you guys don't worry about it. I know we were, yes. Oh, man, Shane, and I even forgot, this show's so loaded, I forgot, hell, the thing that just happened, college football playoff rankings. Uh, I know we don't get too worked up over these because uh, they don't really mean much at the time, but I'm going to run you down the SEC teams and the uh, the top ten here. How's that sound? Okay, yeah, man. All right, number one, of course, no surprise, Georgia Bulldogs, number one mm-hmm. team in the nation. Number two, now I'm going to give the playoff committee some credit because they got it right here, Alabama Crimson Tide. Oh, definitely. No Cincinnati to be found, thank God, at number two. Uh, number three, Michigan State. They, they're undefeated. They just beat Michigan. Okay. I think I think they yeah. deserve that spot. Uh, number four, Oregon. They're 7-1, and one, but they, they have beat Ohio State. They're the only team to beat them, and they beat them at Ohio State. So okay. I understand that. Number five, right there, Ohio State. They're 7-1. and one. Uh-huh. And then we get to... Cincinnati, number six, <laughs> probably about 20 spots too high, but uh, I, I'm just, ha- yeah, they're, they're, I'm, I'm thankful they're, they're not number two. Yeah, the real pole assassin <laughs> is Cincinnati. <laughs> we, got, we, we got Michigan, number seven. They're seven Ooh. and one, only, the only loss to Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma, let's give the committee credit here. Number eight, Oklahoma. They're nine and zero on the season, but uh, they're not just going off undefeated. They, Oklahoma's yeah. not really beat anybody worth the poll, so they're at number eight. Did the same thing here with Wake Forest, number nine, but they're eight and zero on the season. And Shane, I know this is gonna piss you off. Number ten, <laughs> Notre Dame, seven and one, <laughs> and they've already lost to Cincinnati. Golly, that just—I guess you just got to waste a spot on them, you know. <laughs> the Fighting Irish, I love it, man. Okay, so what's the what's the SEC teams again? So we got one and two, and what are the other ones? And then the rest of the SEC, Shane, number thirteen, the Auburn Tigers. Mm-hmm. Number fourteen, Texas A&M Aggies. Okay. Number sixteen, Ole Miss Rebels. Number 17, Mississippi State Bulldogs. How about that, Shane? Mm. And then last but not least, number 18, Kentucky Wildcats. And I, I think okay. the, the real – none of these are too big of a surprise. I thought Auburn and A&M would both be in the top ten, certainly. Mm-hmm. I mean, hell, they'd beat the hell out of Cincinnati, Notre Dame, Absolutely. Wake Forest, all these. But, you know, I guess that's somewhat of a surprise that 13 and 14, maybe they deserve to be a little bit higher. They, they each obviously have an opportunity here this weekend to prove themselves. Uh, but kind of the big takeaway here, Shane, number 17, Mississippi State, because they're not ranked in any of the polls, but it's good to see that the committee has given them some respect because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, they beat NC State, they're number 19. They beat Kentucky, number 18. Uh, their losses, hell, they beat uh, A&M. So, I mean, Mississippi yeah. State's got themselves a quality resume. Absolutely, man. And that's what you're looking for. You're looking for a resume. And obviously, there's a few of these teams that, that are going to fall off. Uh, some of them may be SEC teams, but I'm just telling you, 
the top you cannot go off this list right now. Right. I know there's a lot of people. It's it's a fun thing to talk about next to the 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 monkey there in the strip club, <laughs> but uh, I I tell you this list means nothing right now because a lot of this stuff is going to change probably next week, Mike. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, let's just start right there because that's kind well, of but before you get too far, just because I'm curious is not that I'm looking for a volunteer or anything, but is there any other receiving votes out there? Uh, is there anybody like on the brink? Did they have any of those? I don't believe this poll does uh, oh. does that, so I don't, oh, okay. I don't have that information okay. right there. Well, let's just say Tennessee was pretty close. Okay. All right, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> Almost top 25. That's what we are, baby. <laughs> well, speaking of, uh, you know, proven and, and things will be changing here in a quickly, Shane, we got the Auburn Tigers hitting the road for Texas A&M. My opinion, the game of the week should be college game yeah. day. SEC Nation is going to be there at least in Kyle Field. We've seen that stadium rocking already this season. And, hell, it's rocking every time down there when they got a good team, which they do right now. But mm-hmm. the Aggies coming off a bye. Auburn's coming off a big win against Ole Miss at home. And this is looking like, like I said, man, a big, big time matchup. And it's kind of like an elimination game here in the SEC yeah. West. I know Texas A&M, they need Alabama to lose one more to, to really factor in there and, and be first place in the West. But Auburn got all their dreams ahead of them. And mm-hmm. I got to tell you, Shane, I, I'm seeing from all these Auburn fans, they are confident that they're going to go in to College Station and do exactly what Mississippi State did, and that's take down the Texas A&M Aggies. Uh, obviously, it's a little too early to be giving predictions, but uh, anything that uh, in particular you're going to be looking in this matchup here between Texas A&M and Auburn? Yeah, I, I mean, it, the, the, the fact of the matter is these two teams have had <clears> – sorry. <throat> these two teams have had some ups and downs at the start of the season, but they're they're playing their best ball right now. You know, I, I if you would have told me week one these two teams met, I, I don't know what the outcome would be. But you could say that now because Auburn is playing the best football they played all year. Texas A and M, it's like they they found some offense. They their, their defense is finally coming alive. It, it's it's really going to be strength on strength when you're looking at Auburn Texas A and M. What's the spread on this thing? I uh, I haven't put my bets in yet. I believe the Aggies are favored by five. Okay, think about that, Mike. Vegas has this a one-score game. So, Mm -hmm. uh, that's just another sign to me that this is going to be a hell of a matchup. So, yeah, you got two programs confident in winning, and that's exactly what we're going to have. We're going to have one really disappointed team, but there's a shot, man. There's a shot. It's a long shot, but there's a shot that one of these teams could win the SEC West. Like you said, this is elimination. I mean, think about this. If Auburn wins this game and then they go out, they play Alabama, it's they're tail end of the season and still having an opportunity to get into the a college football playoff because I can't imagine an SEC champ is going to be left out. So, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I just I, – I, you want to talk about good football. These guys are playing it right now, and that's why I'm so excited to watch these guys play Saturday. Yeah, and for me, Shane, it's got to be the coaching matchup. Jimbo Fisher going up against Derek Mason. They're Auburn's defensive coordinator. They're going to be going head-to-head in this matchup. And, of course, 
Uh, Bo Nix, he's he's really hotting up. He's silencing a lot of doubters. You know, I've said it on this show. I think he outperformed Matt Corral last week. And I, mm-hmm. I know Corral was banged up. He was missing some targets. So you got to throw that caveat in there. But, Ed, you told me that Bo Nix outperformed the guy that I think is the Heisman frontrunner. I would have called you damn crazy. You know what I mean? But <laughs> that's just yeah. – that's how well – Bo Nix is playing, and, and we got to give credit to Brian Harson and Mike Bobo for understanding their personnel a lot better, getting better each and every week. And, and it, you know, you hit it right on the head, Shane. This is a team in the Auburn Tigers that's surging right now. And if the fans are confident, you, you got to know the players and the coaches are confident. Mm-hmm. They're looking over there at the Texas A&M team that they probably think they could take advantage of Zach Calzada, going to try to make him beat them through the air. And, uh, man, I cannot wait for this matchup of this. Like I said, this is the, the number one game far and away in my mind, not only in the SEC, but in the country this upcoming weekend. Yeah, man. And that's what I love about it is you know exactly what these teams are. There's there's no more searching for identity. We know exactly what's coming to the table here. And it's just – it meshes well. <laughs> that's – and it's going to come down. It may come down to the final possession. And that's what we love, man. That's why we love college football. This place is going to be electric, Mike. I'm telling you, that stadium may come down because these fans are going to be so pumped up. There's new life in the Texas A&M. You know, there's new life in the Auburn. You know, it was mm-hmm. a sleeping giant. These guys, they were down and out last year. And, and now they're they're back. They travel well. It's going to be just a fun atmosphere uh, it's a shame College Game Day missed missed the boat on this one uh, because I think this is going to be the game of the week. And I know you love to laugh when I throw out these stats that are they're basically meaningless, but they're just kind of little trivia. Auburn, Shane, since A&M's joined the SEC, they've never lost in College Station. And we know Kyle feels a hell of a home field advantage, so the Aggies will be looking to break that streak this weekend. <laughs> old stat oh my you know you just never know he's gonna <laughs> Jimbo last year you got to go up against Derek Mason and Vanderbilt what have you seen what do you remember from his defense and how it's progressed over in Auburn I mean very very sound very physical very diverse uh create different coverages leverages uh the way he rushed the passer the way they attack things I mean they created a lot of different problems for you I mean you it was not a it was not a very simple thing to do your your players had to have a lot of you know uh, awareness of where things were and what they did, and, and they give you a lot of different looks. And, and Derek, I think, is an outstanding coach. You touched on Harrison. Uh, any personal connection with him? And then on who? I'm sorry. The coach, is it Harson? Harson, yes. Harson, yes. any personal connection? And what about him and Bobo? What have they kind of done different <coughs> with the offense, do you feel? No, no, there's no Brian. I never knew Brian before. I have, you know, he was a very good coach at Boise, knew of him, but didn't have a personal relationship. I think they've done what the players can do. Mike's a very Mike's has a great football mind. And uh, Mike was a quarterback himself, played at Georgia, coached against him. I mean, dad was a coach. He's grown up in it his whole life. And I think he understands how to take care of a quarterback, but also ask a quarterback to do what he does and then expand the roles with the people around him and what he's done. And I think he's developed those guys into a very physical group that, that features the gets the ball to their playmakers, controls the line of scrimmage, and puts the quarterback in very advantageous positions to be successful. And then the quarterback does it on his own himself. What has what has changed or clicked for Bo Nix since that Georgia State game? And – he, he seemed to not only handle that the way he'd want, but he sustained it ever since. Yeah, I think like a lot of our guys, I think more players on this team are, <clears throat> are showing some consistency week to week. Um, 
And I've said it before, Bo, Bo is always prepared well. Uh, he works hard, so it's never been that. Um, and I also think it's, it's guys around him, too. I mean, at the quarterback position, it's not just you. It's the guys around you. You know, you have to have protection. you got to have, you know, a decent run game that will help you. Um, you got to have wideouts that are going to make plays and can catch the ball. So it's, I don't know if it's so much just one guy as it is uh, multiple players just improving their game and being more consistent weekly. And, you know, Bo's going to be uh, a recipient of that, you know, being, the, being at the quarterback position. Uh, and there's plenty of things for him, too. He's still got his, his deals every week that we work on and focus on, and just like everybody else. But I think the consistency of his preparation, um, his practice habits, <clears throat> the guys around him, um, those have all gotten better. And so I think that shows up that, you know, your quarterback's going to look better out there. Um, and the other part with Bo is, he, you know, he does. He, he shows up every single week. I think in his preparation to all the behind-the-scenes stuff that nobody sees, uh, he's, he's improving on that as well. It's just it's, it's maturity. It's playing the game. It's, it's being in this offense now and kind of figuring out how it really is going to look at times. And that just, that just takes time. Um, but his effort, everything else you want from a player has always been there. And now just as we go through it, guys around him, uh, himself just getting better at what we're doing. Hey, Ryan, for you as, you know, having called plays throughout your career, just what kind of evolution have you seen from Mike Bobo this season? And how much easier is it for a play caller when you get those first few games to kind of get a feel for the personnel you've got? Yeah, well, I'll say this. Bobo's called plays. He's done this before. Uh, this is not his first time. So I think it's important as a new play caller for a team, you got to figure out, like, what – what can your guys handle? And that's really, you don't know that till you go out there and play. <clears throat> um, and so as the season went on, we, we saw some guys that, that we probably needed to move positions and put them in a better, better spot um, where we could maximize their ability. And then, you know, we probably had some guys in there that, that didn't need to be in those, area, in those spots. So, but it, you don't know that until you play. Like, who... Who's going to perform uh, on game day? And you see that when you get into the games, and then you kind of know how this guy operates. Because um, some things that look really good in practice uh, didn't look great in the games. And the guys that look good in practice and then also look good in the games, those are the guys you're trying to make sure that are out there a little bit more. So uh, to me, it was really just figuring that out. You know, who are the guys that prepare? Who are the guys that really take practice serious? Who are the guys that are going to go hard? And who are the guys that are going to be able to perform on, on game day? You know, that as a play caller, like, you need to know that. That's why having a veteran team as a play caller is always a positive because you know these guys have been through the fire and you know what to expect. Um, we've never called plays in real games until this year with this group. So, um you know, it just takes a minute. And, and I also think, too, as a, you know, as a play caller, um, you know, your team evolves as well, and other guys get better. And so you gotta, you also got to constantly be looking on your team who can help. And I think our offensive staff has done a good job of that. That's why we pulled some guys up from scout team. We've moved some guys around <clears throat> so we can get the best 11 on the field and get those guys that are, that are truly preparing and, and competing in practice and improving in practice and doing the game. Uh, more opportunities when we go out there and actually play. 
<laughs> all right, so, hey Shane, another really, you know, all of a sudden this game's got a hell of a lot on the line. Let's kick it on down to Fayetteville, where Arkansas is going to be hosting Mississippi State and Red Hot Mississippi State. Hell, we just said number 17 in the college football playoff rankings. And don't forget Arkansas. They were number eight in the country mm -hmm. just a couple weeks ago before they had to travel to number one Georgia. Uh, good news for the Razorbacks, Shane. They're getting right tackled. Dalton Wagner back. He had surgery on his finger a couple weeks ago, so this is his first game back. But here's something that's uh, on my mind, Shane, because, hey, you and I, we have been singing the praises of K.J. Jefferson all mm -hmm. season long, and I'm, I'm not sitting here saying he's a bad player by any means because he almost willed them the victory, if you remember in that Ole Miss game. I mean, he was yeah. sacrificing his body. He was throwing it all over the yard, running it. Uh, but against Ole Miss, Shane, and against Auburn, they're – two losses here in the SEC last two games. Yeah. He's thrown the ball 35 times in each of them. And now his mm -hmm. previous high is 23, and he's had 38 rushes combined in those two games as well. And I think that's key to this game, Shane, because you cannot – the way Mississippi State is playing right now, we just saw Will Rogers, he's SEC Offensive Player of the Week, just broke the mm -hmm. record, 92% completion percentage. You cannot ask K.J. Jefferson to get in a dueling match with Will Rogers right now just throwing the ball. I think that is going to be a recipe for disaster. I think if you're Arkansas, you got to get into this game and you've got to take the air out of the ball. Even though Mississippi State, number three in the SEC and stopping the run, they just shut down Kentucky. And we know Kentucky's mm -hmm. built for the running game. They're built through the O-line. That being said, Shane, I mean, I think you're – the only way you're going to win this game if you're Arkansas is that crowd, take take the air out of the ball, run the pound that rock, and you can't mm -hmm. ask K.J. Jefferson to to win you the game through the air. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I, I agree with you, uh, and I think that is a big factor, but I think scheduling is the biggest factor here. Nobody's talking about Arkansas mm -hmm. because did they, did they play last week, Mike? Nope. No. They, did they really even play the week before against our, our buddies Arkansas peanut butter? No. <laughs> these these guys have had multiple weeks off. I mean, you want to talk about an extreme advantage. Think about that. It's almost two bye weeks that they have coming into this to game plan for Mississippi State. I guarantee you last Saturday all these boys were watching that Kentucky game. So I think that's the biggest advantage here for Arkansas is just they finally got some rest because if you remember after that A&M game, they were banged up, especially going into Georgia. That that team was was giving every. I mean, they're they they were hurting, man. And and I think it showed up the following week when they were going against Ole Miss and when they had to go toe and toe with Lane Kiffin. And they let's not forget they almost won the damn game, Mike. They almost beat a top twenty team. So that's that's where I'm at with Arkansas. Is, you know, you can. You can look at the three losses and say, oh, well, you know, Arkansas is not as good as we thought they are. Man, they are. Mm -hmm. And they've got some rest and coming in here. I think that's the biggest thing is you got you had Mississippi State going toe-to-toe -to -toe with Kentucky last week. Uh, you know, did they win the game? Absolutely. But it wasn't an off game. Those guys had to put in everything they had. And, and I just think that's the advantage is that Arkansas has so much rest coming into this thing. And they've had multiple weeks to plan for this game alone. Yeah, and, and just looking at the schedule, Shane, it just shows why this game is so important for the Razorbacks. They get Mississippi State at home. 
And then they go to LSU. Obviously, that's a tough environment, but LSU is, is kind of crumbling, and they'll be coming off that Alabama game. Mm-hmm. They got a trip to Alabama. That's going to be tough as hell. But then they come back home from Missouri. I mean, if you play up to your capabilities and you're the Arkansas Razorbacks, you're looking at an 8-4 and four type season. Yeah, I think that's all in front of you. I mean, that that is a realistic opportunity, but you got to seize the moment. And and one key th- there, Shane, you know, when I talk about getting to the ground game and and something Sam mm-hmm. Pittman talks about here, we got to get Dominique Johnson the ball more. He's their big physical running back. He's averaging yeah. eight yards per carry, Shane, on, on <laughs> thirty nine carries, but that's only fourth on the team in in number of touches. So, I think you got to feed the beast and and just rely on. KJ Jefferson and this hell Arkansas goes three or four deep on the running running back. Uh, I think yeah. you got to rely on these guys to to get you there. Wagner or any of the others you expect to be back uh, this week? Yeah, I think Dalton will be back. He practiced yesterday and did the did the walkthroughs last week. I uh, expect him to be back. Offensively, in a game like this, is it is the ball control and your run game like maybe even more imperative to try to keep them on the sidelines than? Well, I think it's what we do. You know, we're a running football team, so certainly we're trying to find ways to have success there. Um, you have to win first down against this team, however, you, however you're trying to do it. You know, I already spoke about staying out of third and long because they're very, very good at their blitz schematics and and their personnel. And uh, so, you have to win first down, stay out of third and long, and however that is, uh, obviously, you know whether it's run or pass. Uh, obviously, we're a run run football team uh, first, and and uh, we're going to try to establish that. Yes, several times this year you've talked about Dominic Johnson not getting the ball enough. Maybe yeah. it doesn't matter. Maybe just starting him and going with him, or is he just that much more effective? You know, coming in after you know off the bench. Um, he needs more carry. So you know, you coming to practice today? So, I mean, he needs more carries. That's how it is. So, if that's starting him to get the more carries, then that's what we're going to do. But he need he he got to get more carries. I mean, he's he's a guy that running over people, making people miss, and he needs to get more carries. So, whatever that is, he needs a lot more carries. And I thought we had that figured out, but we didn't. And so, I'm positive we got it figured out. Um, I know you're talking about making this run uh, and you take one game at a time during the run, but you know, these four games, all conference, two home, two road, just how big is it in terms of where you want to get to these last big because of how we started the season. I mean, it's big. It would be big anytime, but you don't want to, you don't want to go four and oh and ranked eighth in the country and then let it all slide away from you, you know, and I don't feel like it will if we can, win X number of games. I don't want to get into that, but um, yeah, I mean, we, we won one conference game. We need, we need to win some conference football games and uh, um, we need to start this run. And like you say, they're one at a time, but this would get us bowl eligible. That'd be a big thing for us. And uh, so that's another key to it as well. But I mean, we want to finish the season uh, as as good as we possibly can, and and I think we will. I mean, we're 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 back healthy and things of that nature. But 
also the teams that you play are pretty good, you know, and we know that. So it was a big challenge, but we're looking forward to it, two of the four at home. And uh, it'd be good to get back in the stadium. Yeah, absolutely. And on the flip side, I, I think Mississippi State just got to keep doing what they do and playing great defense. That that defense is what won the game last week. You know, I mean, just right. I, a lot of people talk about, and we're going to get to the Tennessee-Kentucky game here in a minute, but a lot of people are talking about Will Levis and all that. I'm talking game of inches. And it was the effort that a lot of them defensive backs put in to make that game a victory. And I think that's what they got to continue to do. That's what Mississippi State is. They are a tenacious, they are a, a bend-not-break defense and do just enough so Will Rogers can keep the points coming. So I, I think that's what they do. The recipe's out for those guys that just got to continue to keep playing the pirate ball, and if they do that, they're going to win this game. If Arkansas just lets them get ahead, that's one thing that they showed us. We can't, we can't do a shootout. Okay, mm -hmm. Mississippi State's going to want that, but you're just not going to be able to do that because Mississippi State's got a tough defense, man. Yeah, and I think Mike Leach and his offense is going to come in with this one, Shane, thinking about last year, if you recall, of course, they beat the hell out of LSU in the opener. They were high flying. Everybody was patting them on the back. And then mm -hmm. the second game of the season, Barry Odom came with a great game plan that everybody since has used against Mississippi State and kind of exposed them. So uh, how does Mike Leach and Will Rogers adjust? I mean, that is going to be fascinating to see. I think this has got to be one that Mike Leach really, really wants to show that, uh, you know, because he, he got out coached last, last season. There's no way to say it other than that. Mm-hmm. Wait, did they did they announce who's ref in this game yet? <laughs> <laughs> these both these teams have gotten screwed in the past. So. Coach, looking ahead at Arkansas last year's game, I know it's very frustrating for you. Is there anything you can take from how you know Barry Odom and those guys kind of defended you last year? Do you see any carryover this year? Well, I think they'll do some similar things. I think that uh, um, <clears throat> you know I think they'll mix it up a little more. I don't think they're They'll be 100% comfortable bringing three every time. <coughs> you know, I think they'll probably be a little more aggressive. They don't really like to blitz, though. When you go back and watch the film of last year's game, what, what kind of stands out to you? I mean, what kind of went wrong in that ball game from your recollection? Uh, we, we never got in a rhythm at all. Um, we never got in a rhythm. Their three could whip our five. Uh, you know, we sometimes had stuff underneath. We just we our eyes were in the right place. You know, we didn't we didn't uh, put the ball in what they gave us, and then we got uh, frustrated, and then it became a series of overcorrections. Like <coughs> two years ago, an Arkansas fan had started a petition that had like a thousand plus signatures about Arkansas hiring you as their head coach. From your experience coaching or even your law background. Does a petition like that ever have any type of pull to, to affect an athletic department? I don't know. Uh, you'd have, you know, I mean, athletic departments uh, can be quite political. Um, you know, it's, uh, and, you know, schools in general. I, I, I don't know. I, you'd, you'd have to really ask any of them, <coughs> you know. But the idea is not just oh, well, we get to run it, we're going to run it all the time. I mean, there's a point where you have to make choices what you're going to do and what you're, how you're going to move the football, you know. But uh, 
But it is funny to see, you know, I mean, because at some point in time, somebody's bitching about something. They either want you to throw up more or run up more. Um, <clears throat> I've actually thought about uh, uh, running it virtually 100% of the time one game, throwing it 100% the next game. Uh, with my luck, some punter dropped the damn ball so it count as a rush. And then... Uh, uh, and then brag about how balanced we are. You know, tell everybody how we're balanced. Yeah, nothing balanced about that. Balance has to do with production by position. All right, Shane, next let's jump on down to Columbia, where the Missouri Tigers, Shane, take going on the road this week to face a number one team in the nation. And remember, what I told you the point spread, Shane. I thought you were going to fall out your chair because Georgia is favored by 39 points. I think that's actually come down to about 36, mm -hmm. but still, my goodness, that is just a, a massive, massive spread and just goes to show the challenge that the Tigers got. We don't even know if Connor Basilak is going to play in this game. He exited the Vanderbilt game, did not return. And Eli Drinkowitz was asked so many times about that. He, he really got frustrated with uh, these questions <laughs> in his uh, Tuesday presser here. <laughs> but he was asked about the challenge and if there's any you know nervousness or anxiety going into Athens. Mm -hmm. And this, I thought, was the best comment that uh, I, had, I had heard all week. You, uh, no, you said after the game on Saturday you didn't know who you would start if Connor could start next yeah. week. So given that, I mean – what changes in practice for, for Brady and Tyler this week, and when do you kind of, I mean, ultimately need to make that decision if it's not, if Connor's not able to go? Well, we won't know anything until we get through practice, you know, where, where Connor's at. So I'm not, not really adjusting anything I do, really. I mean, those guys have both been getting reps, and, and we had a, a plan uh, that you saw unfold in front of you about how we were kind of going to orchestrate the game should something happen to Connor. So I think that plan would just stay in place um, so I'm not not stressed about it is uh, regardless of health is multiple quarterbacks playing on a regular basis philosophically is that something you prefer to avoid or are there advantages disadvantages we're gonna play the best person that gives us a chance to win the game so if we felt like multiple quarterbacks gave us a better chance to win the game then we would do that uh, up until this point that hasn't been the case the case if Brady or Tyler were to play on Saturday, how ready are they to go against the number one team in the country as their first career start? Is that something you think about at all? Not really. I mean, because y'all are dealing in hypotheticals. Like, we, we keep asking, which is fine. That's that's the job. But we keep asking hypothetical questions. Like, let's go practice Tuesday. I'll have a lot more answers after today's practice where we're at. And we'll practice Wednesday and see where we're at. And, and then we'll find out Thursday where the entry report is. And and then we'll go. But I'm not – I mean, I got a lot of worries. Like, I got to figure out how to block uh, Jordan Davis uh, and multiple other guys on that defensive front that if I spend a lot of time worrying about what ifs, we won't find the best way to block them. Coach, is there an approach you want your players to take in a week like this where you play the number one team in the country where there's, you know, that noise that – may surround it, uh, in, whether they're on campus or social media or anything like that? Yeah, I don't know what noise you're referring to, but we have a sign in our locker room that says ignore the noise. I mean, I'm not worried about Twitter or social media or anybody's opinions outside of this room. Our opinions inside of this building 
or what we need to do in order to win this football game. And as a competitor, if you're not going to win, why go? Is the word to describe it? Is it excitement? Is it anxiousness going into this matchup with Georgia? Is that what it is? I'm excited as crap, man. I mean, I, I'm, I love it. I mean, I don't. Was Alabama ranked number one when we played them last year? They were two. Yeah, I mean, last I don't know. Obviously, as a head coach, I've never gone against the number one team in the country before. So that's pretty exciting opportunity. Um, and even as assistant, I've been blessed to be a part of some really good football teams and been around some football teams. I don't know if I've gone against number one before. So, you kidding me? That's what you do it for. I mean, that's. In all honesty, that was part of the reason why I left Boise State to go to NC State was to get an opportunity to test myself against the best. I guess maybe against Clemson, where they were the number one team in the country uh, when I was at NC State. But, I mean, you go test yourself against the best. Part of the reason that, that I chose to move on from Appalachian State to come to Mizzou was to play in the SEC, to coach in the SEC, which is to test yourself against the best as a competitor. Like, that's what you want. See where you're at, man. Crud. Why else would you do it? I don't want to live life in the shadows. Go out and see what we got. Take our best shot. Let the chips fall where they may. So no, I'm not anxious about it at all. See you Saturday at noon. All right, Shane. So hey, he talks a big game before they play the Bulldogs, but uh, you know I love this attitude though because hell, I mean everybody's selling them short. Everybody believes they're just gonna get hammered like. They've already lost the football game, and Missouri's going to go on the road here with nothing to lose. And I think this is the only mentality you can have going up against the Georgia Bulldogs this season. That's it, Mike. It, nothing to lose. I think you, that's that's the attitude you got to have when you're going against the Georgia Bulldogs. Now, I mean, you're you're sitting here in the SEC and almost a forty point underdog, so. You know, the expectations are down. You you struggled against Vanderbilt. Expectations are down. Your quarterback's hurt. Your expectations are down. Your coach is coming out here, and he's trying to pump up and, and, and throw out that sunshine. But I'm telling you, Mike, yeah, it's, this, is, this is a tough game. And we all know that. And the only way you're going to be competitive in a game like this is just Throwing out the playbook, man. You get out there, have some fun, take some chances. It may blow back in your face, and most likely will. But to beat a team like Georgia, you've got—I mean, you—you got to be original, and you got to—you got to mix things up. You cannot go toe to toe with like a lot of. That's one thing. You when you watch some of these games that against the Bulldogs, a lot of these teams don't change their 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 identity. They come mm -hmm. in and they they try to go toe to toe. With the Bulldogs, and how many how many losses do we have to see to realize that hey, we're gonna have to mix this shit up, or if not, we're gonna get killed. So I think that's the thing. Eli is a hell of a coach. He's an L, a hell of an offensive coordinator, and we've not seen it as much this year as I think we saw it last year. So I want to see him just kind of let loose. You ain't got nothing to lose here. Everybody's expecting you to lose. Well, go out there and and make some noise. Now, let me ask you on the, on the Georgia Bulldogs, Shane, is this the week that you insert JT Daniels? If he's healthy like they say he is and 100% and all that, and because you're looking at the schedule here, I mean, you, you should cruise to Atlanta. You've already locked your spot up. And I think the only thing negative I would say about JT Daniels at this point in time is, is just his rust and, you know, his health. But – if he's 100% healthy, I mean, I think this is – hell, 
You're a 39 point underdog. I mean, <laughs> if, if this has got to be a game, I think that uh, if he's able to play, you got to put him in there to just kind of to get him back back in the rhythm of things, don't you think? Absolutely, Mike. I I, th- I think when you look at the Georgia Bulldogs, we know this is a, the best defense that's ever came out of Athens. Okay, mm-hmm. we know that it's 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 proven. These guys are tremendous. The offense doesn't have to do anything. And, and how many times we got to talk about that's the one thing that I don't like is, you know, they could literally run wildcat from here on out, and they're gonna they're gonna be in the SEC championship. I, I truly they got Missouri, they got Tennessee, Charleston Southern, Georgia Tech. There is no game on this schedule that they cannot win without even having a quarterback. I'm I'm a true believer in that. But the problem is, Mike, what do you do in the SEC championship when you got a Alabama team or insert Texas A or somebody, just anybody that can move the ball. Ole Miss, Lane Kiffin. I mean, I understand that, you know, you've got a great defense, but you haven't faced teams like this yet. And and what, what happens when you do and you have to score points? So, you know, th- I think this is a good time to look in the mirror and say, okay, what do we want to accomplish? Because we have got one, two, three, four games to practice before we get to an SEC championship, four games to practice before we get to the college football playoffs. Is the team the way we want it? If it is, leave it alone. But I'm telling you, and you, I think you feel it, Mike, it's not. I, I don't think we got the right quarterback there yet, and mm-hmm. now's the time to insert the guy you went out and got and do something with it because that offense that we saw the tail end of last season, that's the offense you got to have to put points on the board against teams like Alabama. Because Alabama's going to score against you. I know this is a great defense, but Nick Saban's going to find ways to put points on the board. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I agree with everything you just said, Shane. Uh, with Stetson be starting this weekend, and in regard to uh, JT shaking off you know, any rust, how much of a necessity is it that he's able to continue to do that in these four remaining regular season games? I think it's important for, for, for both of them to continue to develop, make good decisions. I mean, part of playing quarterback is accuracy, decision-making, mobility. Those things are the critical factors. I mean, anybody can hand it off. We all know that. And anybody can make our run checks and decisions. Um, but it's the, it's the decisions when the ball's in your hand and you're having to make decisions where you're going with it, where you're throwing it, um, all those things that are the you know, biggest deciding factors. But, yeah, I'm pleased with where both of them are. Is Tessie going to be starting again? Like I said, I'm pleased with where both of them are, and, and I think both of them are doing a great job. Kirby, when you get ahead big in a game, what goes into the decision factor? What what factors into the decision on when to take the starters out and put some of the second string guys in? And I guess specifically with the quarterbacks this weekend, this past weekend, what was it that kept JT on the sideline? Uh, there was nothing really that that kept him. I mean, we, we every game we talk on the headphones. We have a you know two hour meeting in the morning before the game to go through how we plan to play the players, and we don't always decide that until the day of the game and how to play the players is something that every, at least every coach I know goes through. And we used to be about red shirts and how many reps guys would get and whether guys would play. And um, it's really more about situational, you know, situations decided if a guy gets hurt, who's going in, if this guy goes to right tackle, he goes to left tackle. You go through all those things. We do all those things and we talk about them. And uh, then in the game, there is another discussion of, you know, when is the game out of hand? Uh, when is it not? And, and how are we playing the game? You know, a lot of times if you're playing the run the clock out, then 
it's not necessarily beneficial for a guy to go in and, and, and hand the ball off or do that. And then in other games, you're trying to score. You know, you go back to whatever game it was, Carson Beck, we were throwing the ball, trying to grow him and get him better when we had the uh, the pick six. So every game, I think, is different. And we make the decision based on what we think is best for the team. All right, Shane, last but not least here, the game I know you've been waiting for. <laughs> Tennessee at Kentucky. And these two coaches, you know, they're not bold talkers. They're not uh, going to say much this week that's going to be uh, uh, bulletin board material for either side. So, thankfully, we've got Tennessee defensive back, Alante Taylor. He's got some strong words for them Wildcats. <laughs> You play Kentucky, you know, for years now. I know you want to win every single game, but we're, we, you know, what's this Kentucky game mean for a veteran like you? Um, means a lot. Um, one thing I came in is that you don't lose a Kentucky, and you know we didn't have that happen last year. Um, but kind of, I was watching a video last night, man, when we had the goal line stop against Kentucky at Kentucky, and it kind of gave me chills. And I was like, like that's who we are. Um, so this game is personal, and you know I kind of see a lot of things on social media, how you know they're angry and this and that, and they're gonna win out these last however many games they have. But you know we just coming off a of bye week, we're ready to play. We're gonna show the world that teams can actually have success after a bye week. You know a lot of teams come off a of bye week and kind of fell a little bit, but not us. And then on the other side, Shane, I'll be Kentucky assistant coach Vince Morrow. Oh, he saw it. Now he's not it so fast, me. my friend. <laughs> now we've got the war of words on social media, thanks to these two. And I, I'm just thankful for it, like I said, because these two head coaches, they're not one for uh, bold talk. You know what? Absolutely, Mike. This is, this is shaping up to be a beautiful game. You know, I mean, a few weeks ago, I would have said, I was hoping people forget bourbon bets, but now I'm back in it, you know, because <laughs> I'm sitting here and I'm like, hell yeah, Tennessee's going to win this thing. But Kentucky fans are saying the exact same thing. We are both going in to expect to win this game, and that's what I love about it. Kind of reminds me of that Tennessee-Kentucky game a few years back uh, when it came down to a goal line stand. Yeah, one mm -hmm. of my one of my favorite Kentucky games. But <laughs> I, I just it, it just feels like it's going to be a tough fought game. We got coaches chirping, we got players chirping, we got the fans chirping, people getting blocked on Twitter. I mean, this is a beautiful time. This is a rivalry. That is waking up, and that's what I like about it because, you know, man, in the 80s, we didn't talk about Kentucky. Kentucky was a team you just went out and beat. You know, Vanderbilt was a team you just went out and beat. There was just a few of those on your list. You're just like, you know what, let's just go out and beat them. But you can't do that now because Kentucky's actually got a good program. I know a lot of people were discouraged last week, but I'm telling you, that was a game of moments, and they just didn't have enough fall their way. Kentucky mm -hmm. is a good program. The thing about Kentucky, though, is they have got to find some weapons, Mike. It cannot be just the Rodriguez show. It cannot just be the Robinson show. It can't be held on wheels. Look what happened when Levis was the guy that had to win a game. You cannot have a group of individuals. That's not how Kentucky plays football, man. They need a team effort. And right now, I'm a little leery because I've not seen it. In Tennessee, coming off a of bye week, they are hitting on all cylinders right now. You thought Mississippi State was an offense. You just wait, buddy, because I'm telling you right now, Hypel has got some shit drawn up, and you're going to see some offense real fast. And that's what Tennessee's got to do is get out early to shut the crowd up because if they don't, then that would be your advantage. So this is just – any way you slice it, this is going to be another great game. Yeah, and it means the world to these Kentucky fans, Shane. I'll tell you how much it means to them. I misspoke 
on the last podcast, I said Tennessee won the game in 2017, four years ago. Cousin Ollie quickly <laughs> corrected me on Twitter. So I apologize. Kentucky won the game 29-26 in 2017. But that's just an example, Shane, of just what this means to those fans up there. Absolutely. And they sold out the game about a month ago. And, and mm-hmm. that's not the case with a lot of these SEC teams across the country. Uh, across the the southeast, I should say. Uh, sometimes it takes the week of. No, not this one. Kentucky fans are fired up. This is a night game. They're undefeated at home. It's going to be a back-and-forth contest. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any chance that this is going to be a blowout one side or another. Nope. And uh, I, I just think that Kentucky, I hate to say it, Shane, despite those comments from Alante Taylor, I think this Kentucky team is probably going to want this one a little bit more just because Tennessee is, like I said on the last episode, they're, they're kind of like their Florida. You know, that, that yeah. this is the team that's always in their head. And I know certainly Tennessee, they feel like uh, they should win this game, and I'm not saying they can't. But, uh, you know, it, it's pretty wild how these two programs right now are, are staring each other in the face. They're fighting to be the second, third best team there in the SEC East. <laughs> And it doesn't matter what we say on this show. It doesn't matter what's said on social media. It only matters what happens on Saturday night there in Lexington. And these two are crossing paths more and more on the recruiting trail. So this means so much to both these programs. I cannot wait for this game. Yeah, not just the players, man. It's a border war. I mean, mm-hmm. there's there's a lot of brothers down here and a lot of sisters up there that – that you know, they all have that one Kentucky fan that is an uncle, you know, or that <laughs> that one cousin that's a, that loves the Volunteers. You know, we're next to each other. We we work together. So mm-hmm. this is uh, this is a rivalry. And and buddy, you think it's bad in the football? It's it's amplified in the basketball season. These guys hate each other year <laughs> round, man. You know, so. Uh, I, I'm super pumped up for it. And I, and to tell you the truth, Mike, I have no idea how this thing's going to play out because there's just so many ways it could go. Mm-hmm. I, we've seen – one thing I will tell you, Mike, I am super impressed with the crowd noise and the crowd atmosphere of Lexington. I've ne- I cannot believe, Mike, and almost – it almost. I mean, I can't believe they actually got – you know, uh, a, a crowd noise. You know what I'm saying? It's like I, I yeah. ne- it never crossed my mind that that's a dangerous place to play football. You think of Neyland. You think of the Swamp. You think of all these uh, Jordan Hare. You know, all these places mm-hmm. that you play and how loud and, and how the 12th man. Nobody talks about But when I'm watching that ten- that Kentucky-Florida game, man, I could not believe. I It felt like there was 200,000 people in there at some time. So, that's a factor. And um, so, do they take over? Do, does Tennessee let them take over? I mean, there's just so many things that can happen in this game. And uh, the beautiful part is, Mike, we get to watch it Saturday. So, one of two things are going to happen. I'm going to send my address to a couple of my buddies up there in Kentucky <laughs> so they can send me some bourbon. Or I'm going to turn my Twitter <laughs> off for a few days. So, that's that's exactly what's going to happen after this game, Mike. <laughs> and the only way this can get more amped up, I hope they – they're not going to, but I wish, oh, how I wish, Shane, they'd roll out that beer barrel right oh, before the game. On. You know what? Come on. You know, I mean, it's time, and I don't want to, I don't want to get in the deep history of it, but you know, this is, this is big, man. This is the universities. This is a, a story tradition, and I'd, I'd love for them to bring it back. And and there's been signs of of them 
rectifying old relics. You know, you always see they've been secretly passing this damn thing, Mike. You know, I don't know if you knew this, but just because we don't see it doesn't mean they're not holding it. So uh, this this thing's being passed around. And uh, I saw the Vols thing came up, you know, the VOLS, that was a big deal. So they're digging out some of these old relics, and, and hopefully this is one that will we'll find our way back in because there's nothing better than after the game holding over any trophy. Forget that mm-hmm. it's a beer barrel. Just the fact that you are winner, you're the winner that year, and it's just bragging rights that you can have with your, your buddies at work for an entire season. Absolutely. Well, Shane, uh, we went pretty long here, so let's mm-hmm. kick it over to our interview with uh, Thomas Goldcamp, Swamp 24-7. We're pleased to be joined by Thomas Goldcamp, 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter, at Thomas Goldcamp, and the podcast Swamp 24-7, one of the outstanding Florida podcasts and websites there on the Internet. Thank you, Thomas, for joining me. I really appreciate you. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Now, I wanted to start with this. I don't know how much you were – I can only imagine how hard you're working and probably getting as much sleep as you can right now, but (laughs) do you think Dan Mullen is the happiest coach in America that we got the pole assassin story coming out of Austin late last night? Yeah, you know, I I can't imagine it hurts. (laughs) Anything to uh, deflect away from, I think, the comments that uh, he's made here in the last, you know, 72 hours or so. Uh, kind of, kind of take a little bit of heat off him. I'm sure he's happy. But yeah, okay. Seriously though, that is other than the pole assassin Dan Mullen and and everything that's going on in Gainesville. That really is the the hot topic right now. Not only in the SEC, but I think you could argue in the country. And so let's just start right there. What did you make of Dan Mullen's decision to basically, uh, you know, punt the ball when asked about recruiting? And and what did you think about him just not even wanting to get into that? Um, I mean, uh, so I get it on the one hand, right? I mean, I, and I don't think it's a mistake that, you know, Kirby Smart made it a point after the win Saturday to bring it up in his press conference. I mean, quite simply, obviously, Florida is recruiting against Georgia for a lot of these, you know, top-end guys. And I think the sense in the Florida fan base is that Florida needs to regularly land a few more of these top 50, top 100, five-star type prospects. And, you know, um, unfortunately for Dan Mullen, Things didn't go well on the field this year. And I think, you know, kind of the way that he approached the recruiting angle, uh, unfortunately, I think for a lot of Florida fans, created frustration because there is a, a very tangible gap in recruiting. And, and I don't think that necessarily showed up necessarily as much on the field Saturday as a lot of people are probably making it out to be. But it's a real factor. And you're not going to win in the SEC without elite talent. And so for Dan Mullen to, to kind of take the approach he did, you know, of kind of bristling at questions about recruiting. And, and granted, he's been asked them a couple times now. So it's, it, it is it is something that's come up a number of times. I just think that shows that there's a little bit of maybe a disconnect from, you know, what fans want to see and hear as far as, okay, we understand Jordan is recruiting lights out. We understand Kirby Smart's doing a great job. What are we going to do to make sure that, you know, last year where we went and beat Georgia – isn't kind of a one-off situation, right? And I think the easiest thing you can point to is recruiting. For Dan Mullen to, to address the question the way that he did, he kind of turned himself into a punchline on that front rather than giving a, a sort of coach-speak answer that you know doesn't necessarily change anything on the recruiting front, but at least gives you the perception that he's aware of the problem and is working to fix it. And I, I thought that was a big mistake. Are you surprised at all that uh, you know he's he's having these issues with uh, public perception, given the fact that he's so experienced? I mean, 
This is a guy that's been a SEC head coach, obviously, at two schools now, and he's he's been doing this a long, long time. And from what I understand, I mean, they've they've kind of had to sit him down and talk to him, following the you know pack the swamp and the and the Vader stuff and the the Oklahoma post game. I mean, I would think at this point he would he would realize you know it's not his fault that this stuff trends on social media. Social media was partly to blame for for all the the viral tweets yesterday, but. Are you surprised at all that he's just not kind of like learned that lesson, so to speak? To some degree, yes. You know, I, I think as a coach, it's probably very easy to get wrapped up in the minutia and the moment. And I think Dan Mullen looking at a four and four team says, hey, you know, there's certain things that we need to fix right now to, to get this season kind of going where we want it to get. And I, I would like to think that, you know, after going through – you know, kind of the grind that he went through at Florida as an offensive coordinator with Urban Meyer and feeling some of the pressure that Urban went through, you would hope that he'd have a better grasp on that. But i got to be honest. I mean, the the landscape has changed a lot in terms of how quickly things can spiral on you with social media. You know, that you know when Urban Meyer was around, that was very, very early days for Twitter. It uh, wasn't really a thing in that, that time period. And, you know, you still had the pressure, but I think it manifests in, in kind of different ways. And you, you would think, you know, certainly with his time at Florida, watching what Jim McElwain went through from afar, you know, while he was at Mississippi State, you would think that he'd have a better grasp on it. But I think, you know, right or wrong, he, he's now taking the approach that, um, you know, previous coaches have taken. And, and I think, unfortunately, it's starting to sound more like an us versus them kind of thing with the fan base and the pressure that right or wrong is coming from the fan base. And, uh, I, I, you know, am I surprised? Yeah, a little bit. And that kind of leads into what I wanted to ask you next. Obviously, they've kind of shut down all the uh, media availabilities aside from the, you know, that they have to do the weekly call on Wednesday. Uh, what's your read on, on why that decision was made, and, and was that a surprise to you? Um, yeah, it was surprising. Uh, I think talking to a couple sources around the program is it, pretty clearly a decision that's coming from Dan Mullen. And, you know, I think part of that is he wants to circle the wagons and have – his players understand that, hey, we, you know, we're, we are at a serious point here. We need to lock it in. We haven't done that. You know, as, as a Florida fan, you would have hoped that that would have happened after the Kentucky loss, but it didn't. And so they're here. I, I tend to think, you know, again, this is as much a perception issue now um, as far as turning into a kind of a PR fiasco as, you know, the actual problems of Florida being four and four. And like I said, I think you know, the perception has spiraled away from him very quickly. I think the intent was to kind of rally the troops behind closed doors. And unfortunately, because of the way he answered certain questions in his Monday press conference and then the, you know, the move to, to shut down the media, it instead has looked like, you know, kind of a panic move, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. uh, now, I wanted to ask you, I know you're not, uh, Blake, your, your podcast co-host is more of the recruiting guy, so I, I don't want to ask you anything too in-depth on the recruiting, but I do want to ask you, the issues that they're having, particularly with this recruiting class, do you think that is, um, you know, partly because it certainly seems like a number of the assistants may not be returning, so there's uncertainty there? Or do you think there's a larger issue within the program the why the, the recruiting is kind of floundering at the moment? Well, I think uncertainty never helps in recruiting, right? And I think a lot of people knew really from the end of last year that, you know, defensive coordinator Todd Grantham was going to be on a bit of a hot seat this year. And, you know, despite the fact that the defense really hasn't been at fault a whole lot this year in terms of wins and losses, other than really the LSU game, 
you kind of know where that one's headed. And so I think that does add some uncertainty into the mix. You know, both of the two guys that he committed after that LSU game were on the defensive side of the football. And, um, you know, I I think really for me, though, the recruiting thing, and again, like you said, Blake uh, Blake Alderman, my co-host on the podcast, is is much more plugged into the recruiting side. But to me, it just is kind of, part of what we were talking about before is it, it kind of trickles down from the top right and when you see kirby smart talking about recruiting right after a game and dan only takes the opposite approach of saying hey we'll talk recruiting after the season you know we're focused on the season right now that that belies i think the, the underlying issue that it's the emphasis coming from the top down in my opinion just isn't where it needs to be from dan Mullen. now i hate to even ask you this because i don't i don't want to put you in a tough spot or anything but and, I, and, and, hell, I think if the Florida Gators win the next four and they go to a bowl game and win it, I mean, this narrative could change here in a month's time, so to speak. But would you be surprised at all if Dan Mullen is not the head coach next season at the Florida Gators? And, and again, I'm not asking you to predict whether he will be or not, but I'm just, I'm just wondering if you'd be surprised if he's not there at this point. I would be. I would be. I think, I think you know, given his relationship with the athletic director, Scott Strickland, I think given the fact that you saw what, you know, Florida could potentially be capable of with Dan Mullen in glimpses last year, you know, when he had a, an elite quarterback in Kyle Trask and really Florida was a defensive way, you know, from being a college football playoff contender. I think that's kind of the, the frustrating part with Mullen is you can make a case both ways. And I think it can be a pretty compelling case both ways. Now, you know, I, I think the bigger thing to watch at Florida down the stretch here is I, I I think it would be a lot would have to happen going the wrong way for Dan Mullen not to be the coach in 2022. But to me, the more important thing is which of the changes that a lot of people feel he needs to make are going to be ones that he'll actually make. And and those are, you know, talking about some of those staff changes, you know, bringing in uh, presumably a new defensive coordinator with a little different set of ideas, bringing in maybe another assistant coach or two that can help you on the recruiting trail. Those are the things that Dan Mullen is going to have to figure out whether or not he wants to do this offseason. And I think that's going to be more important. Um, but I don't think we're quite yet at the point where you're talking about Dan Mullen not being the coach after this season. Mm-hmm. What do you expect from the quarterback rotation the rest of the season? I mean, have they turned it over officially, do you think, to Anthony Richardson, even though he, he struggled against Georgia, which we all know has got the best defense in the country? You know, I don't know. And part of that is we don't really know the severity of the injury that knocked him out of the game against Georgia. You know, been asking around on that. From what I was told, you know, yesterday, they don't do a whole lot typically at Monday's practice, and and Richardson was pretty limited. So I I don't know exactly what the extent of that injury is. I would imagine if he's healthy, Dan Mullen probably has to kind of see the writing on the wall. And, you know, I say that. I mean, maybe not. (laughs) I, I would certainly think that playing Anthony Richardson more down the stretch is going to be one of your only, you know, realistic ways to kind of get the fans back on your side, so to speak. Mm-hmm. All right, last question for you, Thomas. I really appreciate your time. But, you know, going into this final stretch here, look, just looking at the schedule, South Carolina, Sanford, Missouri, Florida State, you got to assume that Florida is going to be a heavy favorite in each of those ball games. But do you think it's a challenge at all uh, you know, like how difficult will it be for to get the players to lock in now that, you know, they've lost so many key games? What do they have left to play for? Um, I know it, you guys over there at uh, Gator 24-7 just added a former player to the staff. On, and on your latest podcast, he was referencing 
you know, how difficult this can be for, for the players themselves. How, how big of a challenge is it going to be to get the Gators up for this, this last four games for Dan Mullen and his coaching staff? It's going to be a huge challenge. I mean, there is no two ways around that. I actually wrote after the Kentucky game that I thought Dan Mullen was in a position as a coach that he probably had never been in before. And again, I'm not, I'm not as familiar with his time at Mississippi State as some of the guys that covered him on the beat there. Um, but I don't think it's unfair to say the level of expectations are different at Florida than they were at Mississippi State. And I think after that Kentucky game, you know, when you talk about Dan Mullen kind of offering that glimpse, you know, in 2020 of a team that was on the verge of the college football playoffs, you know, in some ways that, that makes you a victim of your own success where, you know, you, you scratched the surface of that expectation at Florida, which is to be a championship program. And unfortunately for Dan Mullen, ever since then, it's looked much more like a mirage. And so, you know, being able to keep the players locked in when they've had that taste of, hey, we're on the doorstep and your entire offseason is spent, you know, working and building around the idea that, hey, if we just take care of these few things, we can be a championship contender. And you see that fall apart so early in the season. It's really hard to keep guys locked in. And, and you know, if you listen to the, the podcast with Brett Diogardi, uh, you know, who was last year's long snapper, he said point blank on the podcast with us on Sunday, it's going to be hard. Like some of these guys are going to want to check out. I mean, you come to Florida to play and compete for championships. You come to hopefully get to the NFL. And a lot of these guys, man, football's a physical sport. A lot of these guys are going to check out for the season and, and kind of do that. And so, yeah, there's no doubt, man. I, I think Dan Mullen, I don't even think it's hyperbole to say this is going to be the toughest challenge that he has had as a college football head coach to keep those guys locked in. And, you know, you mentioned it, Florida should be heavy favorites. I'm not sure if that's going to help or hurt at this point, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, realistically, you know, Florida should be able to walk out there and beat most of these teams. But I can't say with any degree of confidence right now that I feel very strongly that they will do that. And, you know, it's, it's a fair question, and I think one that – um you know, down the stretch, we're, we're really going to be watching closely to see, you know, whether or not this snowball continues to, to pick up speed downhill or, you know, Dan Mullen can put something together and start to kind of claw his way out of the hole. All right, he's Thomas Goldcamp. Follow him at Thomas Goldcamp on the Twitters. And again, he works for 24-7 Sports, Swamp 24-7. That's the site and the podcast. Really, really appreciate you, Thomas. You're one of the best, not only on the Florida beat, but in the entire SEC, thank you so much for for your time during this uh, this busy busy time for you down there in Gainesville. Absolutely, thanks so much for having me on. I just want to say thanks again to Thomas for joining the show and giving us some insight there. Uh, how interesting, Shane. I mean, according to his reporting there, Dan Mullen, it was his decision to shut down the media and close the doors, and we ain't talking to you people no more. <laughs> but uh, man, they're circling the wagons down there in Gainesville, and. Uh, uh, I thought it was also interesting the fact that he says, you know, he doesn't think Dan Mullen's going to get let go, which I think he's a hell of a coach, so I wouldn't let him go either. But uh, who knows, man? I, strange things happen here in the SEC. You know what? Absolutely, man. Follow this guy on Twitter because you thought the pole dancer and the, the monkeys was crazy, man. Gainesville, if they lose another game, I that, that place may implode. So uh, this is definitely a follow because anything that comes out, he's your guy. 
All right, Shane. Well, uh, I think that's going to do it, man. We went long on this one, had an interview, got to touch on a number mm -hmm. of SEC teams. And, man, I know it's just the middle of the week, brother, but uh, I'm already fired up for Saturday. How about hell, you? Hell yeah, man. As soon as we get off here, I'm going to go ahead and get my lock of the weekend. <laughs> and uh, I'm feeling pretty good, Mike. I've been, I've been looking over a few of them here, and I've been – kind of waiting for some of these spreads to change a little bit but i think now's a sweet spot so get on there tomorrow do some gambling and uh just helps you enjoy the games a little bit more so uh i'm looking forward to it mike it's gonna be a wild weekend absolutely well thanks as always for joining me brother appreciate each and every one of you for tuning in we'll catch you on the next one <laughs> all right see you guys go balls <laughs>